You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So uh, two weeks ago, just to kind of catch up and kind of put this all together and kind of package it, uh, we talked about the nature of John's letter being very personal. As this, he handles some huge concepts, truth and uh, logos, which is uh, kind of the organizational scheme of everything. Have you ever heard of the theory of everything um, or evolutionary biology, uh, evolutionary? Uh, that is what the logos was. And John takes huge concepts like the truth and philosophical pieces of information and brings it right down and makes it personal to you, makes it all about Jesus. So his point in his reference to that, remember, John is an old man. John is Jesus' best friend. John is writing from a a place in history where he's watching the transition into the second generation of Christianity. He's seen the writings of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he's organizing a much more uh, integrated and mosaic of truths, and he's handling them incredibly well as an old man. So we learned then that John would uh, want us to know that it's really personal, that there's a lot of arguments that occur culturally, politically, that kind of keep theology and philosophy out there. And uh, basically, it comes down to this question, not who, do you think, not who do you think Jesus is, who is Jesus to you? That's the discussion point. That's the phenomenon. And that was Jesus in Matthew 16. And it was Peter who jumped up. We won't get too far aboard there. So that went on to last week then we said, okay, it's personal, said, uh, who are you? And the question that John was asking is, who are you? How do you fight your impulses? And we talked about a number of impulses. We talked about this word agape, which is the word for God's love. And John said last week, don't agape the world. Uh, and the world and the stuff in it. And so we kind of took a walk, sort of a catalog, sequential walk through the various elements of the world, like food and, and uh, relationships, power and risk-taking and all these things which are normal and good. But what happens when we give them agapao, when we give them the love of God, this sacred attention and this soul center of our lives is they will kill us called addictions and all the problems that go along with that. That's why he warns them. So what's, what's the counterbalance, John said? The counterbalance is anointing. What's anointing? John very specifically chose a word which would link back to the Old Testament, which would be very full of sensuality. And sensual. If you ever put a lotion on your arms or hands uh, after being sunburned, you know how good that feels. That's an anointing. That's what that's like. And it's a comfort level. That's the way they anointed kings back then. And, and they would pour oil on their heads. And in a dry desert culture, that felt good to kind of weave in and push all over the face. And that anointing, very personal again, very sensuous, very tactile, is what John said last week, is the way those impulses are avoided, is by that anointing of the spirit. It doesn't have to be anything so impersonal. It's, it's a phenomena of that feels and is, supports wellness and delight and fun. He says, that's the way it is. They'll let this Holy Spirit anoint you. And you will feel better when you are anointed. 
It's the way we fight those impulses because those impulses supply us this constant seeking of that which will fulfill, fulfill us when we know it's only God's anointing that will make that happen anyway. So that kind of catches us up. This week is a little bit different. Can we talk about what motivates you? Fear or love? What motivates you? Fear or love? Now, that academically placed and sort of philosophically considered, you would be the first to say, well, of course, love. But my suspicion is that if we were to just take a little deeper look at it, and I think we will, I think I would offer to you that fear does more motivating for us than does love. That we often will, not, will do things because we are afraid of consequences rather than acting out of our relationship, our security, or acting out of love and identity. So we're going to cover that and take a look, see what motivates you. And my hope and my prayer is this one thing happens is when the Spirit works within us after we receive his bread and wine and body and blood and his words anoints our spirit and we begin to take his calling personally my hope and prayer is that you walk out of here today motivated by love, which is a little bit different. So here's what uh, I was assigned by your pastor, John. By the way, John, if you're uh, listening, you can tune in this week and not the last two. This week, I'll have you transition back out of Michigan and back into Florida. So here we go. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's where we start, and that's going to be the core. Everything else from the rest of this flows from John right there. Once more, by way of repetition, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Don't you love the word lavished, given over to us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I studied that in the Greek and pulled it out and uh, looked at it, and it's, it's called a punctiliar sentence. I don't know what that means, but I learned something this week. So uh, uh, it's punctiliar. There's punction to it. John is stepping out. See what you are is the sense I get for it if something is punctiliar. Do you understand that? This is who you are as a child of God. It's, it's hard because we generally hear child of God and accept our identity in institutional kind of settings. And once again, John is trying to be very personal and going, you are a child of God. We're going to cover more on that. Because I think what happens more than not is that many of us who have been baptized a long time ago, who've been associated with the church for a while, or have kind of been in and out of the church, sometimes are mm, accustomed, maybe it's the best word to choose, accustomed to being called a child of God and are familiar with that. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Christ. I'm saved by grace through faith. And the language is there and the content is there, but not the punctiliar nature. <laughs> I'm just using that word because I think I know what it means. <laughs> not the enthusiastic absorption, not the understanding deep down. And I have a little video and we're going to play it, try to help us understand that. You know who you are? You're a child of God! <laughs> Holy cow, really? Yeah, see what I'm saying? It's like, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will has not yet been made known. But we know 
And when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I know I keep interrupting myself, but this is something that I want to do. I'm also a parent that just, now apart from my calling here to be your substitute pastor for three weeks, I'm also reading a book called Imagine Heaven. And Imagine Heaven is a book that reviews all of the scripture's understanding of um, heaven and what that's like. And it follows that and compares and contrasts that with the uh, near-death experiences of thousands of people around the country, around the globe. And one of the common denominators is to see Christ as he is, this incredible being of light. But that's another story. Don't get me down that trail just yet. All we have, all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sin breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. It's in the perfect tense. So it makes it a part of their lifestyle, integrates it into their way of being. No one does that. Now look, the reason why they don't do that is because of who they are. You don't do that because of who you are. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Boy, is that a whole sermon series right there. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. By the way, the word there is very awkward. And again, I studied it and kind of reviewed it again. It says, John is saying, the one who does righteousness. Do you do righteousness? How do you do righteousness? But that's exactly what John is trying to say is, All right, if you're going to be doing righteousness, this is what it'll look like. This is how we know that we are children of God and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Anyone who doesn't do righteousness. You know, what I want to continue to emphasize is the point of the sermon and the hope that I have as you leave the sanctuary today is that your understanding is your identity gives birth to your doing of righteousness. Let's watch it. Which motivates you more? If you don't listen to me, you're going to hell. Or, come follow me. We're on our way to see God. <laughs> now, is there a place for both, I suppose? I've raised three kids. They're all full-blown adults. One of their 40s, they've all given us grandchildren. So I've actually forgotten my kids' names. I don't remember them. No. No, the uh, last thing I wanted was for them to obey me or listen to their parents, because if they didn't, I was going to beat the crap out of them. You know what I'm saying? The point of parenting was to give them a sense of belonging and identity to create family so that they would have a sense of who they are and then take that into the world. Take that 
who they were out there. Come follow me. Let's go meet God together. Now, the problem is, which of those two is easier to generate? <laughs> you know, the first one, and I have erred in that direction by not showing by way of example how my children should live. And what's that famous phrase, don't do as I do, do as I say, yeah. So my point in this is that it, it, it's academically looks like, well, of course, Carl, the right answer is come follow me. We're on our way to meet God, to see God. But the reality that exists is it's easier for me to fall back into, and I have fallen back into, the fear-based motivation. And John is saying, ah, that's, that's not what this is for. This punctiliar statement, he said, see what love is meant to be the motivational factor. So that's kind of where I want to dwell, is I want us to leave here today. I want us to live as a living invitation to people around us. Come, join me. Let's go on our way to go see God. Now, if you use those exact words, people may call help for you. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I get that. But that's the nature of our lives. Which would you rather do? Follow somebody who's on their way to see God and experience the joys and the sorrows and the mistakes and the issues along the way, or sheepishly follow behind somebody who's trying to keep you out of hell. It was Ivy's tenth. Oh, I gotta stop this. I don't. I didn't know it was gonna start right away. I'm, this is my first time running a video on our system here, so I'm gonna go back and do this. <clears throat> So the video will start then right away, it looks like, if we can. Right. So I'm going to go back in just a second for I'm going to give some introduction. I was looking for a way to try to give us some emotional content for what it's like to be baptized into Christ. So St. Paul would say that we're adopted into the family of God. We are adopted into his identity. Our identity now is of Christ in God in baptism. Um, but yet, in the Lutheran churches that I have served over the years, we celebrate baptisms. But you know what we don't do after each baptism? Stand up with a rousing ovation and shout, thanks be to God. Welcome to the family. We say congratulations. <laughs> And give them a candle. Ah, that is good stuff. I mean, I mean, it, I'm not opposed to that. I don't want to make fun of that. I've done that for a lot of years. But I missed what happened. What happened was somebody who wasn't in the family got to be in the family. And that's going to change everything about their incredible entire lives because they're now a part of a family. So what we're going to show you here is a young lady who was in jumping from foster care to foster care families. She landed with one family who decided they were called on to adopt her. And so what they're doing is surprising her with a gift, and it's got all kind of tissue paper, and then the bottom of that is a certificate of adoption. But she doesn't know that. So. 
that's the context, and that's why I had to skip past it real quickly uh, to get going. I'm going to go back to it now. Are we ready to go, boys? Good. It was Ivy's 10th birthday when she opened up a present that would change her life forever. Ivy had spent the last three years in foster care and was overjoyed to find out that Paige and Daniel Zizulka would be adopting her. Paige told the press that on the first night Ivy stayed with the family, she asked whether she could call the couple mom and dad. And on the second night, she asked if she could stay forever. Well, Ivy finally had her dream come true. And the little girl's happiness as she finds out the good news is heartwarming. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> And the good news didn't stop there. The couple also told Ivy that they were adopting both of her siblings, three-year-old Kai and two-year-old Lita, so they could all grow up together. Did you catch the emotion on her face? It just swept through her body. Every time I say that, kind of go, I do a grandpa sigh. Because it's so powerful. That captures it. This little girl's life is going to be different. They just changed her life by making her a part of the family. I don't even, and then multiply that times taking on her brother and sister and now making them all a part of that together. Oh my goodness. How do you measure what that family did for that child? How do, you, how do you begin to put it into words? How do you begin to do She owes them her life. She's now been given an identity and a family. You can assume that when she's 13, she's going to need some restrictions on screen time. You know, This isn't the, like life all of a sudden goes smoothly and it's all roses and everything was good and now she's 21 and never did anything wrong and listened to all curfew. Yeah, of course not. She struggled. Um, I don't even know the story, but she would I would imagine she struggled like any other child. But she, her identity shifted. Her life shifted. And now from then on, she would now behave as a daughter. See where I'm going with that, don't you? We are now children of God, and that shapes us. And not only that, but he decided to put together a number of people together because you and you and you and I are part of that family of God, and it has changed us forever. Our identity shapes our behavior, shapes our righteousness. The love that was shown to that child shaped her for the rest of her life. The love that God showed us before the foundation of the world began now is our identity that shapes us forever and ever. Makes me just want to stand up and shout at the next baptism. <laughs> Thanks be to God, that child. I can do that now because I'm retired and I don't get as much trouble. Oh, yeah. John begins with our identity in Christ as a child of God. I want to work hard, as you can see, to try to make sure that's not an academic point. That's an emotional, spiritual wherewithal that changes everything.
like that child. And so what we find is scripture gives us all kind of identity issues because of who we've been found out in Christ. This is just a screenshot of one, something I found online that kind of summarizes them. Because of who I am, I am called, I am chosen, I am the apple of my father's eye. I'm being changed into his image. I'm a new creation. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am forgiven of all my sins. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I am blessed. I am above and not beneath. I am elect. I am victorious. I am one in Christ. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am set free, and that's just a sampling. That's what God thinks about you. Why? Because you were baptized. You were given a new identity. You were given a new role. So John is saying, you want to do righteousness, begin with who you are. It'll change everything. That's operating, that's living out of love. And it's, we can do that because, again, another screenshot. These are the names of Jesus. We can do that not because we figured it out, but because of who Jesus is. You shall call his name Jesus, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Holy One, Lamb of God, Prince of Peace, Prince of Life, Lord God Almighty, Lion of the tribe of Judah, Root of David, Word of Life, Author and Finisher of our faith, Advocate, the Way, the Day, Spring, Lord of all, my favorite, I am, Son of God, Shepherd and Bishop of Souls, Messiah, the True Savior, Chief Cornerstone, King of Kings, Righteous Judge, Light of the World, Head of the Church, Morning Star, Son of Righteousness, Lord Jesus Christ, Chief Shepherd, Resurrection and Life, Horn of Salvation, Governor of the Alpha and the Omega. <gasps> That's who he is. Which means he can do what he promised which means that if we put our hope and our trust in him, our lives are completely altered and changed from the word go because of who he is. I love my favorite again is I am because I am is so cool. In the Gospel of John, chapter, chapter 8, Jesus goes, before Abraham was, I am. So he's either really bad at grammar or telling us some really profound truth. And the reason why I like that is it ties right into what experience in the Old Testament? Yeah, it's, it's Moses coming before the burning bush, and Moses is trying to get out of it, going, I got to do this. It's like me in Hebrew class trying to duck and not have to do the work because I didn't really know how to read Hebrew all that well. So Moses is trying to duck because he doesn't want to go to Egypt. Who is he? What am I supposed to do about this? He goes, all right, fine. Who am I going to say sent me? Remember God's answer? Tell them I am sent you. Extra biblically, just Carl Gaelic's opinion. So, I mean, it's just really worth nothing. I think Moses went, oh, that didn't help. <laughs> that did not help. I'm going to stand before Egyptian pharaoh and go, I, you know I am? I am. What's an I am? You are? Why not? That didn't help. That's why I love it also talks about his eternal present being. We have been made eternal. That's going to be really important for me, and it's kind of setting me up with my eyes because you know what? Here's not, a, it's not an if, but a when. We have to depend on our eternity because we are going to die. I'm going from here to do a funeral from a young girl, a seven year old girl who I got to know from uh, Peace Church, where I was pastoring there for the last few years, an early learning center. Don't you think they're going to want to hear about eternity and that their daughter in, in heaven? Would... Do you think that that's going to be important to their lives? 
my goodness. What a joy it will be for me to say, here's who Christ is, and here who she is, continuously today. So our identity, from the funeral that I'm going to do this afternoon to the relationships that you're in, our identity forms our behavior. We do righteousness as a result of who we are. Children belong because they're chosen. They're specifically selected. I'll show you what I mean by this. This is a, uh, I think this is the video's next, right? Yeah. This is the uh, a video from a, a series called Parenthood. Um, Mary Louise and I watched Parenthood. We sort of binge watched it on streaming, whichever one it was. And uh, doing that, and I thought it had some interesting pieces to it and kind of caught us up and made Mary Louise cry so that always uh, we dial it in again every, every time. Doing that. So, um, this issue that this video is going to kind of deal with is uh, this young boy has been adopted. It's now in family, but now running to problems in the family. The mom and dad are separating in the show, in this movie or series, and he's feeling difficult and responsible, and his adopted sister is blaming him. There's all kind of strange, awful dynamics going on. Uh, and here's how it unfolds. I don't want this one anymore. You can take it back to the store. It's the kid. No, you can take it back. I don't, I don't want it. What's going on? Do you think if you take the phone back, Mom will stop being mad at you? Buddy, I messed up. Okay? Not you. But is it my fault that you and Mom got separated? Absolutely not. Because Sydney said that before I moved in with you guys, everything was better. Okay, well, first of all, you didn't just move in with us. You understand me? You came to be our son. That means that no matter what happens, no matter what you do, rest of your life, your mom and I are not going to stop loving you, no matter what. See the point come through? I thought they did a good job in writing the script to try to give this kid some understanding. It's not your fault. And it's also trained in marriage and family therapy and have done some of that over the years. And more than once have had to come across and tell folks, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault that, A, your parents got divorced, there was some issues going on in the family. It's not your fault. See, what we find here in the Kapana Aloha is that we have not only been given access to the family, we now are forgiven in that same family. Every mistake we made, every error we turn, every wrong turn we make, we have opportunity to come back and be received with love and grace and joy. Closing story, I didn't have a video for this, but the story is uh, the return of the prodigal son, sort of a prodigal son story. 
I love the story of the prodigal son where uh, he goes away, blows his dad's money, comes back, and his dad welcomes him home because he's his son. The son. So uh, in closing story, I want to know how you've been welcomed back too and how you will always be welcomed back. For a while there, I lived in Gainesville, Florida, and uh, Mary Louise and I lived, that's where this guy named, have you heard of him? He was my pastor at First Lutheran, was Pastor John Roth. <laughs> doing that, so. Yeah, he was, he, was, he was trouble then, too. So I was flying in and out of Gainesville Airport at the time, working for uh, Lutheran Church Extension Fund as a consultant, later as the vice president to the organization, flying all over the country for years out of, for the first four years, out of Gainesville, Florida, the thriving metropolis of Gainesville, Florida, and the thriving municipal three-gate airport <laughs> of Gainesville, Florida. And basically, yeah, the joke in Gainesville is that when you die, you don't go directly to heaven. You go to Atlanta first, and <laughs> then you go to heaven. There are about nine parking spaces outside of the airport right here. There are parking spaces, there are waiting spaces, and these three are reserved for drop-off, and these three are reserved for pickup, and these three were reserved for, um, I think, a handicap. And guarding these nine spots and the flow of that was uh, somebody who was in a booth it had a little air conditioner in it. And uh, remember Mayberry RFD? <laughs> this is what Barney did after Mayberry RFD. He was, uh, he, he was the uh, garden. He took his job seriously. And I'm telling you seriously. So if you were there and I'm waiting for Mary Louise to pick me up after I've come in, and somebody parked over the line so you couldn't quite fit three cars into the pickup zone, he would come out of his. Thing and, and move you over, and, 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 and it's kind of a joke, you know. I mean, so he was very, very punctilier. I'm just using that word every time I can today about his job. And uh, <clears throat> so it was amazing to me one day when I was waiting that um, I, my attention was diverted elsewhere. I don't remember why or where, and. All of a sudden, I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and uh, he was marching in his strict order fashion to apparently, as I've seen many, many times before, tell somebody to get on the line and not be wrong. And then I saw him stop and turn around and go back to his queue. I turn and look, and this car is parked cattywampus. It's horribly parked. It's not even in between the lines. It didn't even pull all the way in. It's like, like on an angle. And it gets worse. The door of the driver's side is open. It's blocking a lane. And this thing, so what? My good friend Barney turned around because at the back of the car as a soldier returning home, embraced by a girlfriend or wife, I don't know, in a hug that embraced her so profoundly 
and her feet were off the ground. And they didn't move. And they didn't move. And they didn't move. Barney didn't move. And I didn't move. His tears began to well up. That incident is kind of ridiculous and funny as it is. It's exactly what happens when we come home. The father doesn't go, well, what time were you supposed to be back? Where were you? <laughs> he parks the car wampus, leaves the door open. There's only one thing that's so important, and that's your back, your home. And your life has changed. That's Pontillier. In Jesus' name, amen.